0: Jordan is on best Harper's on
1: Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. Today is August 26, 2020. There was not going to be a podcast today, and Sham Sharanya said, "No, Mark, you're going to have a podcast today." Instead, Nate McMillan has been fired. Uh, I was not really expecting that. Um, it's obviously kind of weird. Two weeks ago, we we're talking about Nate getting his one-year extension, and now we're here. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm joined by my esteemed colleagues, Tom Lewis and Caitlin Cornrows from from Indie. K- oh my God, that's that kind of day. Caitlin Cooper from Indy Cornrows. His nickname. Synonymous. We'll, we'll chase the <laughs> name of the website. And Dave So from the Field House is joining us as well. Wow, I'm screwing up my intros today. How is everybody doing? Dave, how are you doing today?
0: Doing great. Um, didn't fully expect this today. Um, it's uh, definitely something to talk about. Um, I- I'm feeling good. Good. Caitlin. how are you doing?
2: I'm doing well. I just I I wanted to decompress. I wanted to have like three or four days just of downtime to process what had just happened. But apparently, we're not going to get that. So, yeah. on to the coaching search, we go.
1: Exactly, Tom. How are you doing today?
3: I'm doing pretty good. You know, I was just out walking my dog and my my buddy John Duffy, who's a huge Pacers fan, texted me and was like, "Whoa, McMillan's fired." I am like, "What?" So I had to had to verify you know with all the Twitterati, and it is uh, a bit surprising. Although I guess it marks the beginning of uh, some drastic change here, so kind of exciting as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I think the first thing that we can talk about, uh, a for me, I, I don't know. I I think we can obviously talk about whether or not we think it was the right move, and I think we'll probably. My dog says yes. Um, I mean, I think. After the sweep, I, I guess we can we can go in the direction and say it's the right move. But after the extension offer two weeks ago, it just feels kind of mucky to me. Like, it's weird. And um, I get it. I think it was ultimately the right decision as much as I, I like Nate as a person. And I think he has a lot of good qualities as a coach. Um, I just think it's a bad look for the front office uh, in, in that regard.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a great look that you extended him a few weeks ago. If this was in the wind at all, like if they were considering, hey, which clearly they were because rumors were swirling that he Mm -hmm. might be on his way out, I don't really see why they gave him the extra year. And then to have Malcolm Brogdon come out publicly on Twitter and say, you know, we need one good year of being healthy. I support this. And, you know, he had said to begin with that part of the reason he signed here was because of Nate McMillan. So then to come through that series and immediately let go of him while I agree with you, I think there was plenty of reasons to move forward. I mean, they're in a game four where, I mean, I just looked this up that he literally have not shot that poorly and got to the line that few of times at all this entire series. And they could not find enough points to extend that series. And there was other moments within in games three and four, where if you're Nate McMillan and you're a coach where you really hang your hat on, you know, coaching effort and coaching defensive intensity, that wasn't necessarily there. So if that's what he's supposed to bring to the team, it didn't really show up. So I can see that there might've been some changes afoot there, but I think publicly optics wise, it's not a great look.
3: Yeah, I agree. I know just the optics of the playoffs, um, had to have everybody in that front office squirming because you know, I can't say in any of those games you saw 48 minutes of uh, effort at a playoff level that you know, the intensity you need, the execution that you know, everybody on the same page. There were moments, but but there were also a lot of moments where it felt like they were kind of going through the motions and um, if, if that's what they're playing for all year is to get into that position to be in the playoffs. And if they can't get motivated to to bring it better than that, then um, I'm sure that was something that the front office had to say, whoa, 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 what is going on here? Um, you know, somebody's not all on board here, and and maybe the voice is, is already uh, worn out, even on some of those new guys.
1: Yeah, I – See, I, I don't know. It's uh, obviously we're not we're not in there right now, and we would be closer if um if obviously COVID wasn't going on. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, do I guess I'll just pause it right away. I guess I didn't ask it right out. Do we think they should have been fired? Do we think that this was justified? And I'm not trying to point it one way or another, but I just want to get opinions on this.
2: I think he was a factor among many of why they lost. You cannot scapegoat Nate McMillan yep. and say that's why they lost the series. Yeah. And while I think there was there was some backlash with you know people saying, oh, he can't peg all this on Sabonis being out. Sabonis being out was a huge factor in what the exactly. complexion offensively was for them. The Heat were able to pack the paint because they didn't have consistent roll gravity. They didn't have somebody who was going to draw extra bodies in there. Mm-hmm. And that put a lot of pressure on a limited Victor Oladipo to be able to be getting into the paint, which he really wasn't doing. He took over six almost 60% percent of his shots as threes which some of that was settling but that was a major factor victor himself being limited was a major factor but at the same time you can look back at the boston series last year and also see that nate hasn't been super inventive against switching defenses Mm -hmm. Um, he doesn't bring a lot of extra wrinkles to that beyond hunting the mismatch. And I think that there might be some other candidates out there that might be able to bring a little bit more ingenuity in that way. But I don't think that people should look at this. And, I mean, I would hope that this is a precursor for other change because I don't think that he should be scapegoated. as the reason why they lost that series, even though they did get swept. He was, he was a factor, but he isn't the factor. You know,
0: I've said things – very, very similar to that as well. Um, we, we had a podcast here talking about Nate and his uh, job security, et cetera. And then, of course, after the uh, the playoff series as well, I completely agree with Caitlin. Um, I think that what changed maybe um, is the fact that, again, they just – it seemed like he lost the locker room. Like, it, when you look at his postgame comments, you kind of expect one of two angles, I think, to be able to say um, – have Nate say, um, you know, we gave – maximum effort and i'm really proud of these guys sabonis was out and we just didn't get it done or the opposite of like you know this is we need more out of this i don't care that sabonis isn't out we need to do a little bit more but he kind of was yeah you know we could have actually to do it a little better we had some injuries and it's kind of a bummer if you listen to oladipo and the turner and body language and the way that they were acting they didn't have that either hey i was proud of what we did or like i'm really angry about what happened it was just kind of like is what it is. I guess we'll just sort of try it next year. Um, And that made me feel in that moment, like, Oh man, I don't think that the atmosphere is very good right now with this team. I even regardless of the injuries so that's, that's a tough look. And so it makes me wonder if the same thing happened uh, with the perspective of the front office to say, okay, we get the injuries. We get that. We, you know, we gave you kind of a half extension and gave you one more shot at this, but if they're coming out of the, out of the locker room like that, I don't care. Um, and to me, the fact that they actually went through and made that move, I think, is a pretty strong supporting argument that that's what happened. That he had lost that room. It doesn't matter how good you are. The Pacers faced a same decision with uh, Rick Carlisle. You know, obviously, he's uh, was a great coach, is a great coach. Uh, took a couple of teams to do different Eastern Conference Finals, and of course, won a title with the Mavs. But he got to a juncture where the Pacers locker room was not happy with him at all and he lost that room. And then uh, the Pacers made a decision that, you know, you had to go in a different direction once that happens um, in that specific case, it didn't work out well, which is something else that maybe talk about. Um, it didn't seem like that coaching change was the right move in the sense that maybe they picked the wrong guy, but it seems it's kind of an echo of that. In my opinion.
2: Yeah. I can't uh, disagree. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, I was
3: going to say as well put there, but I think, you know, I I kind of agree with making the change at this point after what you know after that showing um, under the bright lights in the playoffs there. Yeah, you too. I, I'm still not saying it's fair to McMillan because we you know we, we have the list of issues over the past couple of years, but it seems like the results are kind of the same. And and you know referencing what Caitlin wrote about. Um, Mcmillan firing and how impressive it was that he raised the floor of teams that were undermanned quite often um the fact is you just can't envision that higher ceiling um and when these guys needed to go to another level there was there was nothing there for them to lean on um, so um in that thought you know i i, I think what well, i don't think it's you know, fair in an absolute sense to McMillan to have to have weathered all these issues um, and then not get a chance to see if he can do it. Um, I think at this point, you know, I think the team has obviously seen something um, that that they don't like as well and and want to move on from. And that, you know, the other part of this is they probably don't want to bring back everybody healthy. You know, they're probably going to want to move one or two guys, namely a big. So... Um, if they're doing that, they might want to get a coach in who they think would better fit the style of play they want to play with. The Pacers
1: want to move a big? I, I've never heard that before. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, no, I, I. see now, I then win. You gotta have some comedy in it, Tom. Um yeah. So yeah, I mean that comes back to it for me as well. As I, it's, I, I agree. I, I think I'm, I'm trying to get around that as well. It's new for me, you know. The NBA is a business and blah blah blah, all that. It is definitely tough tough for nate but i agree i like especially like just thinking on what you were mentioning dave um nate has never been the guy to come in to a presser and be like well we lost because of injuries and well that obviously wasn't like the full extent of what he said in the at the end of game four it had that air to it definitely um just like not like he was trying to create excuses but it just was very uncharacteristic of him to come out like that um so I agree. I, I, I will definitely be adamant, and I don't love the way that it was done, but I, I agree in it being the right move. But then also shifting to that, I think so much of this just comes down to being a personnel problem and not a coaching problem. I mean, I think that obviously you have to have good coaching, and maybe this team could have won one or two games. I still want to go back and rewatch the series and um, get a more concrete view on how things could have gone differently. But at the same time, I mean, I think we still come back to the same problem in that, A – I think that the general fan or just the general person watching games maybe doesn't recognize that Victor is not even like remotely close to being himself. I think that there's this idea that Vic is still this guy who can come in and, and close a game for the Pacers if he's put in the right position. And he's not that guy. I mean, he wouldn't, he couldn't even take on Kelly Olynyk or Duncan Robinson in an ISO. And if you go back to 2018, he's blasting those dudes to a different planet and yamming on the rim. So, like, I not to, like, just kick completely out of context and unprofessional there, but, like, that's that's just reality. There isn't anybody who can take that shot right now or that we can consistently count on to do that. And maybe if Sabonis is there, it's different. But I think, like, to, to Tom's point, I, I just think this is going to be the first of many moves that's going to happen this offseason.
2: I mean, and what – What I said earlier, yeah, I think that you can look offensively, and if Sabonis is out there in situations, that's what my entire piece that I got Mm -hmm. up this morning before I knew this was going to come down to was about, that even though Miles can space out to three and five out, they were not occupying him. Bam was coming all the way off the strong side corner to – suffocate driving lanes. He would come off the slot to pinch in on driving lanes. He would come off whenever miles would even slip off a blitz and he would, he would be roaming and tracking the ball. So, I mean, that was them taking a calculated risk of, you know, we're going to look and see that miles might go off here, but we think that the more important thing is that we shut everything else down. So, But my point being there is is even if you had Sabonis and Miles available to counteract some of that, then what are you giving up on the defensive end? They already struggled to contain the three-point line in the first three games of that series. That would not have got better with two bigs in the starting lineup. So, I mean, whichever decision they make there, I think something needs to give. I think that they're going to have a limited ceiling with both of them continuing to be on the roster. And I would think that given what candidates are being rumored to be out there, I mean, I don't exactly know what they mean by a program builder. That kind of leads me to think that they might be leaning rebuild. I mean, I, I don't know what exactly that version, but it, it suggests to me that they're ready to move on with only one of the two bigs as well.
3: Yeah. And I, you know, you see Mike Bantoni's name has popped up from a couple different NBA people, which I mean, oh, by the way, he's still <laughs> coaching in the playoffs.
1: Uh, but uh, I okay, like- actually not to butt in Tom, I, I can't really say too much on it, but I, well, I mean, obviously things have, have been out for a while that, that, that's not super likely he's gonna be back, but I do have some yeah. stuff that would indicate that uh he's he's not super likely to be in Houston next year. Um, but yeah, that's I guess also I'll say on that. But yeah, I, I don't know. I've definitely seen uh it'd be of course, I mean if you turn on your phone you see Mike D'Antoni to the Pacers. You don't even have to go on Twitter, so
3: but if you're uh you know, if if that's even the thought, you know, then a too big lineup. <laughs> It's not really in the D'Antoni repertoire. So, um, uh, and obviously, if, if the pitchers are re- remaking things, um, they have certain valuable assets. One of them is going to be a big. Um, so, um, and, um, you know, and then, of course, maybe Victor and, and who else, uh, uh, whoever else you may want to uh, compile in, in a deal or two to remake the roster more in um, – in the vision of a, of a running gun team like that. Um, it, it would be interesting though, as far as, you know, program builder, <laughs> those type, in my mind, I'm thinking maybe a, a assistant or a, a younger guy. I know Pritchard has some Spurs connections and all that. So you look down that uh, Popovich tree um, and all, all those different options seem like if, if you're gonna rebuild, um, it'd be it just seems like a tough time it seems like the roster's not that bad that you need a full rebuild um, but if you're flipping two major pieces it's going to feel like a rebuild, but that doesn't mean they can't infuse the talent in there to to uh be up and running and, and be a playoff contender right away i don't think at least what do you think? You know think?
0: they mentioned uh, being a kind of a program builder, I wonder if part of that is Having a coach that's willing to have maybe an assistant coach that in a few years is going to take over like Mm -hmm. Frank Vogel did on the Pacers. I mean, they had two promoted assistants in a row uh, coming out of the Pacers camp. And of course, people look at Nick Nurse um, as this example of what they're trying to kind of accomplish with uh, uh, Nate leaving. Um, But that was an assistant that was um, ended up being promoted. Um, so, it might be that Dan Tony can, can fit into that if he's willing to have that sort of uh, coaching philosophy. And um, it makes me kind of wonder I mean, you mentioned a trade, at least stylistically. Of course, you want as much talent as possible, but stylistically, is there a better front court for Mike Dan than Miles Turner and TJ Warren?
2: Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'd have to look in, into their offense more, but I mean, prior to them playing microball. The Antoni systems were built, I mean, most of their plays are built around the pick and roll and the short roll and actually, you know, having consistent roll gravity. So I don't think Sabonis is completely out of the mix there. I mean, a mm-hmm. lot of their sets were built around Capella were built around Amari Stoudemire and Steve Nash. Now you don't have those pieces. They don't have a James Harden. They don't have a Steve Nash, but I think that could still go either way. I don't think it's a guaranteed because I mean, I'll have to look and watch some of their sets this week if more traction comes up, but I don't think Sabonis is completely out. You might see fewer post-ups. I, I mean, I I think that's fair to say, but...
0: I totally agree with you. I mean, I had I get visions of uh, Sattermeyer in the head, and I, I don't know if he's had a three-point shooting center. Um, I think that he'd be interested in tinkering with that and adding that as an element to something that he's never really been able to do before. But, yeah, I mean, like, like you're saying, Sabonis, at least from an offensive perspective, makes me think uh, of uh, D'Antoni and the systems that he's run before, so... Um, I just, the one answer I would give is that I I genuinely don't know which one it would be, uh, but it, I think it would be one.
2: I agree.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so I think kind of, you know, going off that as well, uh, not to get all negative, but I think one thing that I, that I, I think about is, um, the, I, you know, obviously you, you get stagnant or I, I hate using the word stagnant with, with how this team has gone, but it's true. I mean, it's stagnant. Um, you know, the odds of of getting a Jim O'Brien versus the next, uh, you know, Rick Rick Carlisle or Larry Bird being your next coach, I think that's something very real that you have to think about. Um, because, hey, I mean, yeah, there are actually some really good coaches who are you know around this time time around, but uh, you can also argue that maybe some of them aren't nearly as, as proven as David. No, I mean, Kenny Atkinson did nice stuff with Brooklyn, but at the same time, Brooklyn with Kenny Atkinson was doing pretty much the same thing that the Pacers were doing Um, obviously in a different way, but, you know, building up a program with not a ton of top end talent. Um, So I I don't know. That's, that's something that I'm definitely thinking about.
3: This is a, you know, I feel like this is a key juncture here with the organization in one one part, because, you know, you have to lure a coach here. One thing, I mean, they're just rumors, but Oladipo appearing to not want to be coming back on the heels of Paul George wanting to leave and forcing his way out. You know, why is someone going to be attracted to coming to this organization? Um, and, and same goes with the players. And that's one reason maybe you, you make this move with McMillan. If you have know, players are watching that Pacers team and you know, they, they can grind out wins, but it doesn't really look like a fun place to go play. Maybe they want to, uh, get a coach in here who's more appealing to players so even when, when you're making a trade you know if you're making a trade to bring in guys you don't want them coming in and thinking okay first thing I gotta do is get out of here whenever I can you know you want them to come in and want to be playing for the Pacers um, so you know the coach and whatever else whatever other moves are made I mean they they really do need to kind of reshape the image of the organization um, in some sense. It's a well thought of organization around the league, um, but it's also one that always appears to have uh, a ceiling to what they're willing to do uh, to go, go for a championship. And the moves they make this off season can alter that opinion, um, especially if they can then start showing uh, a little something different on the court as well. Uh, but this is, you know, this is a time. That's why I, I kind of find it a little exciting because, you know, this is a moment where where a lot of things are going to be altered. Um, obviously, it could go the wrong way, and you're you're back climbing up from the bottom. But um, it, at least maybe they won't be stuck right in the middle for a little while. They'll they'll make a bold move and and try and bust out of that that middle of the pack.
2: Yeah, I mean, you bring up an interesting point there, saying you know, that somebody that the players would want to play for. And I, I just can't help but for um remember that before all this happened, when Victor was still on the fence about whether he was even going to play or not, mm-hmm. that he literally didn't inform Nate McMillan of his decision and told the Athletic first. Yeah. Like, I know they said that there wasn't exit interviews. I know Jay Michael at the Star reported that there weren't exit interviews yet. So it doesn't necessarily seem like, you know, a player sat there and said, like, I don't want to play for Nate McMillan anymore. But, like, how much of a role is Victor and where he's at with the organization going to play into who that next coach is? Because from an outsider's perspective, I have to think that maybe that, repu- that um, relationship was a tad bit frayed. I mean, I just don't understand how you contact a media outlet and tell them you're not going to play in a season when your coach gets reads that on, on Twitter. Like, yeah.
3: I mean, it, it just leads me to believe that
2: something, something was afoot.
3: Yeah. And that comes I'll... on the heels of him doing the same thing, you know, in January when he exactly. announced his return. I mean, he did the same thing. No one no one was ready for that within the organization. So um yeah, it's it'll be interesting. I mean, and you know, they may be at a point where they're like, Okay, we gotta get Vic out of here first thing. <laughs> you know, who knows? Yeah. Um either that or if they're working with him and maybe this is, you know, part of what he wants to uh, settle in and be part of the t- part of the organization long-term who knows um, you know, that, have, that's a
0: big question you have a definitive statement about kind of what the future of Nate mcmillan is with this firing but i still feel like there's more going on here that we don't fully understand even not just with Oladipo, depot but 100
2: you know, when this extension
0: was reported it was said that Nate mcmillan's been uh, uh, given a contract extension now of course he's thinking like three four years whatever mm-hmm. then the details come out it's like oh it's a two-year extension like, oh, okay, no, they kind of reworked the first year, and then added a second year. and Then the players say, oh, he deserved one more year. Then Nate says, I deserve one more year. Well, it's supposed to be two years. And now we find out that it was a somehow reworked option, and then a team option added. Of course, that team option isn't worth the paper that it was written on, because it went up in smoke as soon as he's fired. So it's that whole thing, I can still not make a whole lot of sense about it, and um, it wasn't just what's coming out of Oladipo's camp. That also, we, I don't think we fully understand everything that happened with all those maneuvers. That is a very strange thing to have happened. Um, and I think that added a level of shock to this, that was a little bit of a misdirection. You know, um, if we would have fully understood that all he got was a fully guarantee, uh, a guarantee on his next year and then a team option, I think there would be a lot more of a, oh, Nate McMillan's on the hot seat, Oh, Nate McMillan is on uh, the verge of being fired. Um, But kind of announcing it as an extension, I think, reset everyone's expectations. And then the question is, why would they do it that way? Does that make sense? Am I I crazy? No,
2: I think that there was a lot. I think there's been a lot of weirdness going on on a lot of fronts for about the last month now. Like, something doesn't completely add up, I don't think, on I mean, from from that, from the entire Victor being a perpetual game time decision to <laughs> yeah. potential—I don't know what rumors coming out of Ryan Rossillo about Sabonis <laughs> wanting out when he hasn't played the first no, year of an man. extension. Like I, I don't, don't know what I don't know what's streets, going man. on about all that. But point being, <laughs> there's been more drama coming out of the Pacers organization, whether you know it's chatter or whatnot, than there's been in quite a few years.
1: Yeah, I think. Yeah.
0: That- when people talk about Oladipo and his potential extension and some of the uh, weirdness going on with the Pacers, I think that there's one thing that's kind of missing from the conversation that people don't think about as much. Like when Paul George, whether he's going to sign extension or not, there's no negotiation. Like he just says, oh, max deal with whoever he goes to. And so then the question becomes what franchises he want to do that with. There's a big element of this Oladipo uh, conversation I mean, he's not going to get maxed out, is he? I mean, is someone going to show up with a max contract? And if not, what's that number? And so now they have to negotiate the terms of the deal, not just buy into the franchise, but also at what level of money that's going to be. And I think that is what's driving a lot of the tension too, is that, you know, it was reported that he got like a four-year, $80 million deal. Um, that kind of sounds maybe sort of reasonable for what he would get if he didn't have the All NBA uh, appearance, etc. Like kind of where he's at right now. Um, I think that, that that tension is Vic is maybe showing up saying, "Okay, well, I might choose the Pacers. Uh, where's my max extension offer?" And like, well, that might yeah. we might not actually want to do that. So. That's a big part of this, I think, is that the Pacers just aren't willing to just plop down the max money, Um, and that adds a layer to this that I think will be very, very difficult and interesting for the Pacers to navigate.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, he and Victor, I mean, Paul George and Victor were in very different places. Like, Paul George didn't look completely rejuvenated to his Mm -hmm. post-injured self, but he was playing at a very high level. That right now, if your other teams, like, let's pretend that Victor's just like, you know and this is totally speculation. I know nothing of this. We're just speaking hypothetically that if he was like, you know, I don't plan on staying here, you know, I'm, I'm whatever. He tells the team that what exactly, I mean, I already saw this in the Miami Herald last week that they had scouts tell this reporter that, you know, kind of, why would the heat give up assets for him right now?
3: Right.
2: <laughs> why, why would they give up Tyler hero to the Pacers? That, that doesn't really make sense for one, if I'm the heat, I'm going to want to watch him play this year and see, does this guy, you know, quote unquote, still have it? Because if I'm giving up assets, I'm going to be making a call to the Wizards about Bradley Beal or making a call to the Pelicans about Drew Holiday before I'm getting on the phone for Victor. And And if they're really convinced that Victor, you know, just loves Miami and wants to be there, why do they need to give up assets to get him? Like, And I know somebody's going to bring up, well, but look at the Thunder and Paul George. But again, that was a different situation. Paul George already looked... He was a, playing at a really high level at that point in time. Victor did not at any point down there in the bubble look like he was a top-scoring option right now. I'm not saying you can't get back to that, but from what we just saw, he did not look like a top-scoring
0: option. And, yeah, OKC didn't have quite the versatility, and so, they, you know, making a move like that and having it an all-in to kind of support Russell Westbrook, they had to do something a little bit uh, like that. Um, but, yeah, no, it's um, – uh, giving up assets for uh, Victor Oladipo right now. If someone will do it, outside of everything else, the Pacers just kind of have to take a hard look at that, I think.
2: No, I think you have to look at everything.
0: Yeah, and the
3: good news, I mean, you look at uh, Toronto and OKC. I mean, they they both um, made those deals for Kawhi and Paul, uh, assuming they wouldn't be back, which was the case, but they were happy to, to go for it for one year. and So maybe you find a, a team – to uh to do that who who wants to try and get something out of him for one year but the problem is that i mean i think the difference well i guess they both weren't Kawhi and paul weren't perfectly healthy but um yeah, they commanded it, it's a lot to,
1: more than victor would on the open market
3: yeah but it's hard to um look at the way Victor's playing and think yeah he's he's almost there um, so um but back going all the way back to that you know I'm sure a, a, a point of consternation earlier was that, hey, where's my max extension? I don't know about max extension here, Victor. Um, and a lot of times, you know, a guy like that is like, come on, man, what about two years ago? I, you know, essentially saved this franchise. Where's my money? And, and you know, that's that's how these things play out. Um, and you can kind of see it from both sides. But when you're, you know, in the NBA, every dollar is counting right now. And, and you can't, you know, do the John Wall thing and just, Give it give all the money to a guy who you, you're not sure is going to be there for you.
1: Especially in Indiana, especially oh, at yeah. in a, in a yeah. pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that's another thing that, that comes up for me. If this team were to, because I think, again, not to get dramatic, but Tom, like you brought it up as well, and we, we talked about it on Passpot. I mean, this is like the moment. For this offseason is going to be like the defining moment for Kevin Pritchard's organizational ties. You know, for him as. The Pacers this defines what his time is going to be like and if it's going to continue for a couple years um again that sounds extremely dramatic once it comes out of your mouth but like (laughs) it's true I mean like if you have to trade Victor for spare parts um I mean what is this team that's like a 40, 40 win team like I mean obviously it depends on what you get back and everything but at the same time the idea of Vic at his best is better than anything that would likely come back. And even if you do, you know, you get a couple picks back, you get a young prospect, um, it's not a team that's like, that's compelling to, in either way. You know, it's not a team where you're like, oh, well, there's a bunch of young guys that I'm super excited to see build around, or B, there's, you know, not a team that's necessarily right there and ready to go. Because I mean, even if you do bring in a guy like, say, a Tyler Hero, I mean, that's not really, I, I guess he's kind of could be on the timeline of TJ Warren and, Uh, I mean, I would assume TJ is obviously up there as a building block moving forward with, with Domas or miles, whoever's there. Um, But it just obviously raises a lot of questions with that. Um, And lastly, if they're able to, to, you know, they swing things this off season and they show, okay, this team can have a real contention window for maybe two or three years as all of the contracts ride out on the books, are the Simons actually willing to shell out money to make that work? And I, that's – you know, in my lifetime, the answer is no. Um, but maybe things will actually change as the Simons get older. And don't forget that,
0: you know, uh, mentioned like maybe this being a 40-win team and what would be out with uh, Depot, where they were on a 50-win pace with uh, Jeremy Lamb as their shooting guard. Yeah. So there is mm-hmm. uh, some hope that they can put in a replacement-level guy and be pretty good. And they still have – you know, they still have-
3: two years of guys on pretty good contracts. Um, so, but, you know, they, they got to, obviously they need that other big talent that Oladipo could be or somebody else that they got to slide in there. And that's that's where you either got to use Oladipo and or one of the bigs um, to try and go out um, and get somebody to fill around. I mean, they, they got guys that are going to be here. They're under, under you know, decent contracts um, to, you know, provide a solid team.
0: But, uh, obviously, they need, they need a couple of heavy hitters. I wonder if a new coaching hire, whoever it is, would consider some of this fluctuation as an attractive part of being a part of the Pacers. I mean, if they're willing to move Victor Oladipo and one of uh, Turner or Sabonis, if he gets a voice – he or she gets a voice uh, in that uh, conversation – um, uh, Maybe that is presented as an opportunity to say, I, I want a voice in that and I want a voice in who we acquire. And I want to use that as a, when I, on my first day on the job, being able to have uh, a shape and how to mold that roster it could be something that is seen as a negative, but also seen as a very positive thing to be able to put their stamp on the team.
3: That seems reasonable. I mean, um, and you know, maybe, maybe the reason this kind of came out of the field is they already got, um, somebody in mind already got something working back channeling and and they kind of know what they're, what they're going to start doing. Yeah. Um, And they've already started, but um, I would think before you started, yeah, drastically remaking the roster that the person running the squad would want to, want to know what was going on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Because the the coach that you bring in, uh, I think largely you need to have somebody who's, Going, who knows what the roster they're working with is when they come in? You know, I part of it's because I grew up in Cleveland, but I mean, David Blatt was brought in to to coach a young, up and coming team with hard to say Andrew Wiggins with young and up and coming, but it, I mean at the time, young and up and coming was Andrew Wiggins, Kyrie Irving, and and Dion Waiters, and then he has a completely refaced roster by the time he gets there, and that's obviously a cluster f and a half, um, that results in him getting fired a year and a half in, but yeah, a lot of things to look at. Um, we have, again, this is just the first part of the off season, which is crazy to talk about already. Um, but yeah, do you guys have any closing thoughts before we get out of here? I'll just say, I feel like we could talk about this for hours and still come back to
3: the same points, but, but the off season is off and running. And, um, It's going to be fun to watch and and see what happens here going forward.
2: I do think just as one add-on that we'd be remiss if we didn't point out that, you know, before they went down to the bubble and a lot of the stuff with social justice was going on, Nate McMillan issued a very very powerful statement in support of that. and, And Kevin Pritchard had made comments about how strong his voice had been on those matters and listening and learning from him and, you know, it doesn't really seem like some of the black coaches in the NBA get as much leeway to keep getting rides on the carousel as, as perhaps white coaches do. I mean, I think they're down to, I haven't counted, but I want to think six NBA coaches currently have permanent, yep. or six African-American coaches in the NBA currently have jobs. And, and I i just think that that at least has to be mentioned in this conversation.
3: Absolutely. Nate, Nate was incredible um, and with some different interviews you had and such a strong voice and, and really, um, you know, I kind of felt like he was the right guy at the right time here. And, and I felt like that was, you know, a very good reason to keep him around with the extension and everything else that's going on. You've got this guy who can be a strong voice in the community, um, but in the end, you know, it comes back to basketball and that, I think is, is what ultimately Um, change with him within the franchise,
0: unfortunately. There's there's a big, long list of players that didn't look as good as they should or didn't look very good at all. They came to Indiana and thrived under Nate McMillan, and I think that that, coupled with how well he's done uh, as a coach versus expectations, means that he's going to get another job. Um, Somebody floated the Bulls job out there. That sounds like actually a pretty good fit. Um, Hopefully there would be some other ones as well. Um, he absolutely deserves to be another head coach. He'll do it and he will be successful. Um, And I'll be very happy to see that. Um, I think that it doesn't matter how talented you are. If you lose the the room, then you just got to go with somebody else. And I think that that is ultimately what
2: happened. Yeah, Yeah. it's interesting. I will say a little tidbit on that. You bring up the Bulls. A few years ago, I wrote a freelance piece at SB Nation talking about the Pacers and and how they win games and I actually got an email I won't say from who from somebody at the Bulls organization saying that they admired Nate McMillan so it's interesting that you bring that situation up now they've had a lot of turnover there but that's something to keep an eye on
3: well you know real quick I'm gonna keep going on here but you're talking about a program builder I mean that might define Nate McMillan which is exactly kind of exactly um, but I mean I know from from watching him with the Sonics when he took over the Sonics under duress Um, and then, you know, early with, with the Blazers, it was always like, his team's always overachieved, but then, you know, you got to a certain point with the talent and then the channel leveled off. But, 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 uh, as as David Sarkin there, I was like thinking, yeah, you're right. I mean, he is a, he is a solid program builder.
1: (laughs) No, that's funny. And Caitlin, to your point, I, uh, I really appreciate you bringing that up. That was something I talked about with, with, with Tom earlier. Um, I think that's, that's something that has to be talked about and, um, it's, not easy to talk about. You know, I think that's a very real thing that, that that black coaches do not get the same leeway as, as white coaches. And that's not to disparage the front office or Kevin Pritchard. I, I agree fully. No, I
2: think it guys. was time for, you know, yeah, a yeah, change, no, I think but it was, I yeah. hope he gets another opportunity. Yeah. I guess I should have.
1: Uh, no, 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 no. I, I totally agree. I just mean, I think the way that the fan base sometimes talks about Nate can be a, a little disappointing sometimes. And, and you do wonder how that factors into uh, the way that, that a, a coach gets viewed and the pressure that gets put on them. So, uh, guys, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. This was, it was great to talk. Thank you all for, uh, coming on last minute. Um, hopefully this will probably be the last pod we have for a couple of days just to, to get everyone some, some cleanse from, uh, from Pacers basketball <laughs> for a little bit. Until Dan, Tony quits in the middle of a series and joins the Pacers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a great point. I mean, hey, it could happen as soon as uh, four days from now. So who knows? Um, to everyone listening at home, please be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Check us out on Spotify. Uh, read us over at Indy Cornrows. And, and be sure to go ra- read Dave's work over at the Fieldhouse as well. Have a good rest of your day. Um, go Pacers.